Hello and welcome to episode 36 of The Game Pit. This is another one of our Essen briefs. And I'm Sean and here's Ronan. Hey, how you doing? Welcome to the episode. As you know by now, we've had a team of our special reporters going around Essen and getting the best and freshest news for you. And for today's episode, we are being joined by Steve. Hey, Steve. Boys, boys, I'm so glad to be here in the Game Pit Towers. I didn't realise it was such a plush place, mate. I'm, I'm very jealous. You must invite me back here again. We just make it sound humble, you know. We don't like to brag. <laughs> yeah, I particularly like the beer fridge. That's keeping me going. <laughs> don't mention any of the wall hangings. No. Well, you know, I can see where you're uh, getting your inspiration from for your game discussions. Thank uh, you very much. Making so... my glasses steam up. Never mind. <laughs> You've driven Sean to silence. <laughs> right, yeah, before Steve gives too much away, we are very proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Please go along to the Dice Tower Network for the very best in gaming podcasts. We're also proud members of 2d6.org. Go to 2d6.org for the very best in gaming goodness. So, Steve, we were at Essen together this year. What were your general impressions of Essen this year compared to maybe previous ones that you've been? Yes, this was my fourth time attending. I've kind of fallen into a pattern of going about once every two years. That's mainly because that's all my bank balance can sustain. But it's also because my daughter's birthday's around that time. Like last year, I was on the fence about going with you two. It was my daughter's birthday, so I decided not to go. Priority, um, Steve. This is, this yeah, is, exactly. This is I, I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Well, what do I think about it? Well, first of all, it threw me a bit this year because the halls had changed. Got used to the halls that they were used and I was thrown. So uh, it threw me slightly. Other than that, though, it's always a great experience. Had a great time. Stayed at the same hotel that I've stayed in every year. It was even better this year, of course, because Sean was there with his lovely wife and I had a couple of mates from Birmingham. I actually think I got more games played during those three days than I've played for the entire year. Were they better (laughs) than any previous travelling companions you've had, Steve? (laughs) Well, Ronan, you know, you and I shared a room one year, but we better not go into any details with that. (laughs) That's that's never a good experience. Everything's healed. It's all fine. (laughs) I'm still <laughs> scarred from the times I've now, done Now, talking it. only about this show, Steve, because we just mentioned one of your surprises from a previous show. What was your <laughs> best surprise of the show, strictly in terms of games? The surprise for me was Colt Express. So I'm just looking at it here. It's designed by Christoph Rambo. Rambo, Rainbolt. How do you say that? Rambo. Uh, how do you say it? Rambo, Rambo. He's French, I think. I don't know. The reason it's a surprise for me is because I'm, no, I'm not really a big fan of fillers. <laughs> Some people might say I'm not a big fan of fun, but that's not true. Uh, <laughs> but this, this, this game was just great fun. Now, I'm looking at this guy's other designs here. He's made a game called Sandwich, <laughs> which I've never heard of. And he's made a game called Hacker. And he's made a game called Chef Cuckoo. <laughs> and probably if you'd have told me those were his games, I'd have said, I'm not playing Colt Express if it's by a designer who designed a game called Sandwich. <laughs> 
anyway, be that as it may, it obviously got a lot of buzz because of the look of it, because it's 3D sort of Wild West train, and each player's a bandit on the train trying to get all the loot, and so there's like gunfight going on. It was great fun, you know, last about half an hour. We played with five people, which I think the more players, the merrier it takes up to six. So Steve, yeah. did you feel that the lack of an actual game board, when they just had that 3D train, did you feel like that took away from the game? And also, uh, with that train, I found it really hard to get my digits into the actual train compartments and pull out the playing pieces. How did you feel about the actual train itself? Well, as far as the board is concerned, you did have the special promo piece of paper, didn't you, which we stood it on, which kind of did make it more of a... It's an official playmat, Steve. And it's not a piece of paper. Steve... Steve what? and the cact and the cacti. <laughs> yeah, the cacti. I was a bit disappointed we didn't have any cacti to knock over, which we undoubtedly would have done. You know, I think it's fine. I think a three D train is it's very unusual looking, so the fact that there isn't actually a board for it to stand on didn't really bother me. But as I say, we had the special piece of promotional paper which which really helped. You can always stand cactuses up. Yeah, what else is there? Cactuses, there's some other bits of scenery out there which we didn't bother with. There's uh, yeah. cow skulls. They have nothing to do with the game, but they make it look prettier, yeah. As far as the pieces, yeah, I did have to develop a special technique of knocking my bandit over and sort of sliding him out of the, sliding him out of the cars. It's all right when they're on the roof, but when they're actually inside, yeah, it is a bit tricky. I did develop this, as I say. I call it the dink manoeuvre, where I lay him on his back and then pushed him out of the train lifting him up and oh, putting him on the... Are still talking about the game here, Steve? Oh, yeah, we're talking about the game, yeah. <laughs> a bit confusing there. If it's the best prize of the show, it suggests you had low expectations. You did just mention the designer's track record. What other low expectations about the game were turned on their head? I didn't know who the designer was until about half an hour ago and I quickly had a look on BGG. So I didn't know he designed a game called Sandwich. I mean, probably if I'd have known... I might have said, no, I would have said I'm not playing a game by a designer who designed a game called Sandwich. The reason it's a big surprise for me is because I don't generally enjoy fillers. They just tend to be a bit pointless, I find. I'm just like, why am I doing this? There's certainly better things I can do. But this was just great fun. I think it might have been just something to do with being in Essen and playing it with friends and just having a, a fun time. So because it was a filler and I enjoyed it, that's the surprise. Cool. So, Steve, we've talked about your best surprise at a show. Now, what was your biggest disappointment of the show? Oh, my God. My biggest disappointment of the show was Five Tribes. What the blithering hell is that all about? No, that did nothing for me. I mean, I was extremely disappointed. It's Days of Wonder, who obviously have got some wonderful games out there. The components are nice, but it looks like... I'll tell you what it looks like. I don't know what the theme is. I know it's sort of the Arabian Nights, but I don't really know who I'm supposed to be or what I was supposed to be doing. But when the game was set up on the table, it looked like Tom Vassell had just done a component drop. That's what it looked like. What is this? There are meeples all over the place, different colours. It's just hideous. Everything about it was a no-no. I didn't like the look of it. I mean, the components are good quality. There's a sort of Mancala thing going on where you pick pieces up and move that many spaces and then drop them in a space, take all the same colour out. It just did nothing for me. I, I know. And let me just say at this point, I haven't had much sleep for uh, probably about a week because I've got young children and I was in essence, so I didn't get much sleep there. So what you're getting from me is a stream of consciousness. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm afraid there's not much structure because I am working tonight, much like I sing, with no real notes. <laughs> So you must we said you've show notes for a reason. You must acting like an amateur well, around here. Yeah, yeah, no, it's all right. I'm, you know, I'm a stream of consciousness. That's that's okay. James <laughs> Joyce version of the game. <laughs> you, you, bits, 
<laughs> oh, we went for um, worker displacement for the name of that mechanic. Oh, come on, man. It's a Mancala ripoff. Yeah, call it that if worker you want. Worker displacement. Yeah. I'm trying to get that, you know, out there. That's my... Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So, what's it about? I don't. What's the theme? I don't know. It's the Arabian Nights. Don't worry I about don't... that. We'll move on from that. No, no, I've got to talk there. about it because it's. <laughs> I'm just tired. Every round, there's a bid for turn order. Okay. In order for you to make a sort of informed bid, you have to spend 20 minutes examining the board position because you've got to try and pick out of all these meeples. Do Steve? Do you have to? If you want to play the game well, I tell you have. <laughs> Uh, you've got to examine all these meeples sprawled all over the board and you've got to count the spaces and you've got to try and see if I get them here, I'll get this colour off and I'll get this special ability and I'll be able to... Be... You've got to look at all that because often there is one sort of key move that you can take and that's essentially what you're bidding for. But if you haven't spotted the key move, then you're like, oh, oh, I don't know, I'll go last then. Yeah, I found that myself that it's often I want to go first or I don't care. Yes. Yeah, after you... that first move, the board's going to change. So I don't know what moves are going to be available. And exactly. in fact, the other good move that I found was I want to go after the worst player because they'll probably leave me a chance. I didn't get any enjoyment out of sitting there staring at this horrible multicolored sprawl on the table. And ugh, ugh. I'm not as negative as you are about the game, but yeah, I can see definitely where you're coming from. The game got a huge lot of buzz coming out of Gen Con, though. It was reported as, you know, the gamer's game, a heavier game from Days of Wonder. It's going to be a huge hit, and it certainly has been a hit, whether there's been quality or not. Can you see why it had that immediate appeal at Gen Con, and what sort of a gamer do you think this would appeal to? Let's see. The people that I played with, my friends from Birmingham, I played it with, and they bought a copy. And the day before, they'd had a demo of it in the halls but I think they played it as a very light game I don't think they gave too much thought to what they were doing they just picked up some meeples moved them and there was no sort of thought but once we started playing it I guess three somewhat experienced gamers it very quickly became apparent that it's extremely heavy I think each subsequent time you play it you're going to spend longer and longer trying to analyze the board position before you do your bid because after that's happened if you're not first then the board position is going to change and you but that's also a problem because once the board positions changed you then sit there trying to figure out what's the best move. Yeah, it's, I don't it's know. almost I, I, not worth looking at the board until it becomes your mood. I mean, you can kind of glance at it and kind of have a look at some of the patterns, but in terms of actually working out a move, if you're later on in the round, there's no point really trying to analyse anything on there because anything can change. What happened on a couple of rounds for us was that we sort of all said, well, look, this is the best move I can find on the board. Is that what you're looking at? Because... If it is, then we'll all know what we're bidding for, you know. And I think there often is, even though you can take slightly different strategies, you might be collecting the genies or you might be trying to get the most yellow meeples. There are different things that you can try to do. But even so, largely, if you can find a move that's going to empty your space and give you the opportunity to get a camel and maybe a palace in there and score those points, then it's kind of an optimal move, whatever strategy you're intending to follow. I just didn't enjoy it at all. So, Steve, okay, you didn't enjoy it, and you've pointed out quite a few reasons why you didn't enjoy it, which is awesome. Is there anything in the game that could be house-ruled or changed or some sort of variant introduced that would make it a game that you would actually play again ever in your life? I can't think of one, but I suppose, let's suppose it was made into an app, then you could have the app point out to you best move and then you'd know what to bid for and everyone would try and bid on it I don't, I don't know how you can fix it I've only played it once obviously suffering from fatigue at the time because you don't get a lot of sleep or at least I don't in essence I'm too excited and go to bed late and get up early and all that I probably would play it again but I wouldn't seek a game of it out you got guys saying but I wouldn't enjoy it there didn't you 
no, I, I don't know if I'd enjoy it. I'd give it another go. <laughs> Just to cheer you up, I found there was diminishing returns with more games of it. <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah, okay, so it's moving on, Steve. Of all the games which you saw at Essen, which game do you think deserves a wider release? Okay, this is for purely selfish reasons. There's a game there called Spells of Doom, which is, well, it's essentially a two-player game, or it's a four-player game with two teams. And it's basically a magic user on a map summoning creatures and you're trying to beat your opponent. Like Summoner Wars, I suppose, a similar sort of idea to that. Except it looks absolutely stunning. The board is beautiful and there are little miniatures and there are like towers which you put a little crystal on to show that it's generating mana for you. It just looks gorgeous. I walked past it numerous times thinking, should I get that? Well, I probably don't need a two-player game. I've already got Battle or Second Edition, which I haven't played yet. I don't really need another game like this. I've got Summoner Wars. But every time I walked past it, I was just so attracted. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, stunning. It's a, it's a beautiful looking game. So what was the actual thing, Steve? That one thing that held you back from buying it? Because I, I was really tempted myself, as we discussed at the airport going home. Yeah. Exactly, and, and in, the, in the halls on the Sunday, and they'd reduced the price. So it was down to €39, Euro and I had it in my hand. And somehow, <laughs> I managed to persuade myself not to buy it. I was showing too much self-restraint. There's something about going to Essen, you have to try and show some self-restraint in terms of what you purchase, because not only do you spend a fortune, but you can't get on the plane, can you, Ronan, when you're trying to go home? Uh, you can with a very, very helpful Lufthansa lady <laughs> and a little bit of an excess baggage fee. Anyway! <laughs> so why I'm saying I would like this to be more generally released is so that I could get hold of a copy. I regretted it immediately when I left the halls, hadn't bought it, and I emailed them and asked them if I could get a copy. And they said they could post me one from, I think they're in Greece, but it was going to cost me... 55 euros Ouch. so you did say you've got other two-player games possibly with slightly similar themes what specifically about spells of doom made it stand out from other similar-ish two-player games well on a purely superficial level it's just the look of it it just looks lovely they've got these like 3d towers or you've got little miniatures the board just looks lovely the cards look nice the player boards look nice it's just extremely attractive so it was that which caught my eye to begin with and I suppose it's that which would make me play it, say, over Summoner Wars. I mean, I don't know if the gameplay is in any way similar. It's just a similar theme. So, yeah, it's so a sexy-looking uh, game. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> nice sexy-looking nice. gamers. I thought you were going to go for Hyperborea with this one, but you haven't. So the next question is, what game do you need to play more before you make a final decision on it? Yeah, I'd like to play Hyperborea again. But I chose Kanban as my game that I'd like to play again before I make a decision because it's an absolute beast. And I kind of like the challenge of games which have difficult rule books to get your head around. The games where you can learn the rules but you don't really know how to play the game. And I think this is one of them. I did, I think, a reasonable job. I, had, I played a three-player game of it and I'd learnt the rules only with the rule book, obviously, because I didn't get the game to we there. But this is one where you need to get it on the table and sort of go through things and try and work out how each section of the board reacts with other sections of the board and try and work out how you actually score victory points. It's just a beast of a game. I enjoyed the experience, although I'd, it would probably be incorrect to say that I played the game. I mean, I was just, you know, I explained it to the people I was with and we knew what the rules were, but... Yeah, that I, makes I, sense. You definitely had a, very much a learning game off it. I'd have a slightly better idea. I think it's a game that would probably reward multiple plays. Okay, well, Sean and I both looked at Kanban in terms of thinking about previewing it. 
but we both have big concerns about the rule book and the designer has got kind of a bit of a history of rule books that aren't the most user friendly the designer before it even came out was putting out rules clarifications he put out player guides online pre-release which all shows great support for the product but also shows that perhaps they could have done better with the rule book so in terms of learning the game and teaching it you've just covered it a little bit what were your actual specific concerns or challenges how do you feel like it is to teach it's a difficult game to teach and that's partly because i wasn't familiar enough with it i guess if you played it a little bit you can point things out to people. The problem that I think we had was that whilst I could explain what the rules were, I wasn't able to sort of explain, if you do this and this, you'll be able to score points this way, or if you do this and this, you'll be able to score points that way, or you might want to do this, you'll get points here. I wasn't able to say that because I, I wasn't aware of it. The rule book's tricky, although as I say, I kind of enjoy that in a way. I mean, it's not badly written, sort of explains the game. It's not the best rule book in the world. And they put a geek list up which kind of went through the game and tried to make it slightly more accessible with this geek list. And he did try and point out at certain points, you might want to think about this as a strategy tip or you might want to think about that. So I kind of appreciated what he did. It's a big game. There's a lot to it. I think that the rule book's adequate. It's not terrible. So, Steve, in a game about car production, now we talked about this on the way home, you had some concerns about the actual final stage where the cars are produced is kind of somewhat pointless in terms of actually adding to your score. Do you still have those concerns? And I know you said you're still learning the game, but why did you have those concerns? Okay, so what it was is the board's a car manufacturing plant and it's divided up into sections. So you've got a section where you can get spare parts, you've got a section where you can get blueprints, you've got a section where you can test cars and upgrade them. There's an assembly line where you can push cars off the assembly line. And when we played it, we were very reluctant to push cars off the assembly line because we felt someone else would pick them up. And if you have a car on your board or more than one, it can score your points. We were kind of reluctant because we, we felt like we were spending the turn and we were going to help someone else. I think that was actually just a lack of familiarity with the game. When we got back, I posted a little question about it on Board Game Geek, and the designer got back very quickly and sort of explained that the way the worker placement is, you can go to the section of the board to push cars out on the conveyor belt, and if you time it correctly, on the next turn, you can go to the area of the board where they've arrived, and you can pick them up yourself. And once you've started the conveyor belt going, there's more likelihood that people will go there because you can then get more than one car out. So it's important that you pick cars up because you need to have cards on your board along with blueprints and upgraded designs. And so it was kind of a group think thing going on there with that. That's the kind of game it is. Once someone points it out to you and says, well, yeah, you can do this, but then you can then pick that up later. You kind of go, oh, yeah, I see. If I time it right, I can do that. You really need someone to be able to point those things out to you. It's it's tricky. All you need to be a better gamer than I am. Well, I think <laughs> we're going to give you half a dozen plays to learn it properly. Then you can teach us. Yeah, I think yeah. that's kind of us, right? That's fair enough, yeah. Cool. All right. This is the big one, Steve. You've told us about some good games and one bad game you didn't like. If you could only keep one game from Essen 2014... What would it be? I'm sure there are games there which were fantastic, which I didn't get to play. But the so one I'm choosing for my keeper is Aquasphere. First of all, it's a Stefan Fell game, and I guess I'm a, a bit of a fan of his. But I think the theme's great. It's about an underwater research station. It's there to study crystals on the seabed, and you're running a team of scientists and engineers. You want to be as successful as you can, get as much research done on this aquasphere as you can. And you have an engineer in the lab who's programming robots that are going to help the scientist in the lab get his work done. It's a great theme, and it really helps when you're explaining the game. 
I'm probably also slightly biased because this was the first game that I played when we were away and it was the first game I explained. So I had a certain clarity of mind there which kind of disintegrated as time went on. Aquasphere was quite smooth. I explained the game. We all understood it and we were all able to play it, you know, and enjoy the game rather than just trying to struggle our way through the rules. And I think that has got something to do with the theme. The theme doesn't come through particularly in the gameplay, but it really helps in the explaining of the rules. In terms of actually having to program the robots in the game Steve and where you move the scientists around the underwater facility as a seasoned Euro worker placement gamer did this feel intuitive to you or did it feel sort of less intuitive as it did for me Something I've noticed about his games, he always seems to have a, a sort of obstacle, if you like. There's a mechanism which kind of hampers you doing exactly what you want. Like if you look at Trajan, you've got that Mancala thing, you've got to try and work out how to manipulate that so that you can do what you want on the main board. It's a bit similar here with this. You've got your engineer and he's got to program the bots and your scientists can only activate the bots that have been programmed. And the engineer is restricted as to which ones he can program. So what you want to do is hampered by this mechanism that he's put in place. He does that in a lot of games. Even in like Castles of Burgundy, you've got the dice, which you've got to work your way around, change the dice with your workers, do stuff that, so you can actually do what you want. Thinking about it now, that seems to happen in a lot of his games. It's like a little puzzle. Where shall I send my engineer? It makes you plan ahead for the turn. It is probably a little bit unintuitive, but the theme really helps you. Like, this is your engineer in the lab, and he's got to program the robot. It's going to help the scientists in the aquasphere. It does tie it all together, definitely. Actually, I really enjoyed the game. I think this is a really good choice. Actually, I think Sean enjoyed the game as well. We're all kind of agreeing aquasphere is a good game. You said you're a Feld fan. I know it's after only one play or two plays, but where would you currently rate this against his other games? What's your favourite Feld game? Where does this come? What others are up there? Okay, well, I guess we've got a bit of cult of the new, isn't it? And this is the one that I want to play again because I've only played it once. I think it's great. There's so much to explore in it. And this is definitely the one that I want to play. So this is my favourite, I suppose. But that's largely, I suspect, because it's brand new. I quite like Macau. I think that's a good game, which I've played a few times. I've got Trajan. I've played that a few times. I like them all. But this one is currently top of the list. So, Steve, thank you very much for coming into the game pit and giving us your thoughts on Essen. It should be noted that Steve is the one responsible for originally getting Ronan and myself by proxy into gaming, so it's all his fault. He is the game guru, he's the master, he's the progenitor of the game pit. Yeah, people may not believe that when they hear what I've had to say tonight. I realise, as I said, it's a stream of consciousness, so, you know, that's what I'm giving you. Well, we like to cover the Essen fair from different angles. Yeah. Tiredness, that's my angle. <laughs> but listen, the game pit's a great place to be. I want to come back. I want to sit in your plush chairs, put my feet up, you know, get the beers. If you read you your know, show notes the, next the time, shoulder you back in. there's a cost involved. You have to play five tribes eight times. <laughs> Followed by Sandwich. <laughs> I've got to find out about Sandwich. And Chef Cuckoo. Stop, you're making me hungry. That's not hard. <laughs> So there you have it. That's episode 36. And a big thank you once again to Steve for coming in and telling us all his thoughts. <laughs> Listen, it's been an absolute pleasure. I did a little bit of thinking about stuff, but I'm... Um... I think it's often interesting just to, you know, as I said, no notes really. I'm just giving you my impressions as they come to me. So I apologise if it jumps around and so on, but it's it's the way I feel about things. You're the bohemian factor in the game pit. Yeah. Why not? Why not? 
That's you're always very precise. You're always very precise with your rules, explanations, and all that. So maybe you need a bit of you need a bit of uh, chaos. 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 <laughs> I think that's that's a fair point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so right. thanks, Steve. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, me. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We've got more SM briefs coming up in the next few days. We hope you're enjoying them. Give us all your feedback on this format, our other formats, our SM coverage so far, and give us any games you think you might want us to cover in the future because our big SM episode is coming up where Sean and I are going to talk lots and lots and lots and give you our top fives. If you want to get in contact with us, you can email us at thegamepitpodcast.gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter. We are at Game Pit Podcast. We've got a Board Game Geek Guild. Join us and have a chat with us over there. You can hear us and many other great board gaming podcasts at DicetowerNetwork.com. If you rather have your gaming content in video, written form, and indeed other great podcasts, head to 2d6.org for reviews and commentary and lots of other great things. Thank you, and we'll catch you next time. Music by E. Aaron. Thank you.